everybody. It's Pastor Chad. Today is Sunday, August 15th, 2021. Welcome to The Way, R122 Ministry Live, The Way Radio Live. Glad to be here with you guys. I missed last Sunday. Um, I decided to take a Sunday off and go hiking with my son. It's been a very busy summer uh, with all that I've got going on, and I haven't been able to take a lot of time off, so it was really a great blessing to be able to get out of town for a day and head up into the mountains and go hiking with my son, especially now with as crazy as everything is in the world and all the just crazy things that we have going on and all the darkness that seems to be inundating us from so many different directions. It was just a blessing to step away, uh, spend some time with my son and to be up in the mountains away from everything. And that's one of the things I love about living in Idaho. Uh, when you go off the beaten path, you are very far off the beaten path. And we ended up really a great distance back in the mountains, so far away from everybody. And that's just an opportunity to really consider the beauty of God's creation and to shut out the noise of the world. So it was a great blessing to be able to do that. Um, is it? Uh, but it's great to be back this week and to be able to be preaching again. And I just pray that this message is a great blessing to everybody that, that is able to hear it. It's entitled, What is Your Heart's Meditation? And it's based on Psalm 1914. Let's pray and we'll get into today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we're able to gather here again this Sunday and to uh, learn of you, to consider you, uh, to meditate on your word, and to grow in our walk with you. And Lord, I ask that you would just bless this as a time in which we can step out of the world, uh, that we can uh, just just bask in your light and just... Uh, Enjoy the amazing radiance of your glory that pours forth from your word. I bless, I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen, edify, and just fill each person that hears this message, that what believers would be, uh, would, would grow through it, and that unbelievers would maybe have their eyes open to the beauty of the truth of the gospel and who you are. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the title of the message is What is Your Heart's Meditation? It's based on Psalm 1914, but I'm actually going to get into that entire psalm later on in the message because it is just such a beautiful portion of Scripture. But let's look at Psalm 1914 to get started, which states, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And that's really what we're going to delve into today. So first, what I want to do is consider the obvious importance of speaking in a way and meditating, of thinking in a way that's acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. Then we'll delve deeper into the other treasures that this scripture holds for us as well. So obviously, it's telling us that we should be speaking things, and we should be meditating on things that are pleasing to the Lord, pleasing and acceptable in the Lord's sight. If we look at Ephesians 5.4, we're told, And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather 
giving of thanks. We are not to participate in mindless talk or foul language. Now, again, this is one of those commands of Scripture that can be very difficult for people to obey. Um, but it's a, a standard that we should be striving to live up to. No filthiness and silly talk, or course jesting, which are not fitting. But notice the contrast to that that Paul gives us in Ephesians 5.4, but rather giving of thanks. And I believe that if we are in a constant state of gratitude to the Lord and we're living in gratitude, that will very much affect the condition of our heart, and it will also affect the things that we say. So like so many other lessons that we learn in Scripture is we should strive to live in a constant state of gratitude to the Lord. Now, consider taming the, considering taming the tongue or the destructive power of the tongue, I want you to look at James 3, 5 through 12. So what we're dealing with here is the words of my mouth. That's what we're starting out with here. The fact that we are to try to refrain from mindless talk and foul language, and then we are to tame the tongue. But this portion of Scripture in James talks about the destructive power of the tongue. If you look at James 3, 5 through 12, it says, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. If you think about the greatest insult, insults that you suffered, the greatest attack, attacks that you may have endured, they all almost always spring from the tongue. The tongue is absolutely wicked if used in the wrong way. It can be a curse, but as Christians, our tongues should serve to be a blessing. We should be speaking in a way that's pleasing to God and a blessing to those who hear us. So let the words of my mouth be acceptable to the Lord and pleasing to him. Out of the heart. Psalm 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Out of the heart. What we learn from Scripture is the things that spring out of our mouth come forth, are born from what's in our heart. Our mouth is a reflection of what our heart contains. Look at Matthew 15, 18 through 20. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile a man. So we have to be very aware 
and very diligent in maintaining the condition of our heart. And that's a lesson we see all through Scripture. The condition of our heart is where everything we speak, say, or do begins. And when I say the heart, I'm not obviously speaking of just the, the physical human heart. I'm talking about our inner core, our being. If Christ is abiding in us, and we're striving to be conformed to his image, and our heart is filled with him, then our life is going to be filled with the grace and the mercy and the love and the compassion that Christ exhibits. We are to speak in a way that is acceptable to the Lord that pours forth from a pure, loving heart. Look at Colossians 4, 6 and Titus 2, 7 through 8. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. And Titus 2, 7 and 8 says, In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Now let's look at Titus 2, 7 through 8 a little more closely there. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. We understand as Christians that our good deeds do nothing to save us. Our good deeds do nothing to add to our assurance of salvation. Our good deeds pour forth as fruit of the truth that we have been born again and regenerated in Jesus Christ. Notice it says, with purity in doctrine and dignified. Why did Paul add that in Titus 2, 7 and 8 with purity and doctrine and dignified? Because if your doctrine is incorrect, if you are serving a false Christ, if you are living in apostasy or even heresy, you may be carrying out good deeds, but they are not springing from a right heart. This is where so many in false religions get trapped these days. Like I've said before, just about every false teaching since the beginning of time is a contradiction. Every false teaching is a contradiction to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but there are certain points that make them very easy to identify. Good deeds carried out in order to earn something, in order to obtain salvation. This is where Mormonism and like Jehovah's Witnesses and Roman Catholicism all the false religions in some way claim that good deeds have to be performed in order to earn our salvation. And each individual false belief believes that in varying degrees. Some it's to earn your salvation. Some it's to add to the work that Christ did on the cross. Cross, You see what I mean? But we understand as true Christian believers that there is nothing we can do to add or take away from what Christ did on Calvary. That's why he said it is finished before he died on the cross for our sins, meaning all the work was done, the price had been paid, the penalty had been taken care of, and our sin debt was gone. He nailed it to the cross. So our good deeds are done because of what's in our hearts, because we abide in Christ and he abides in us. You see? <clears throat> now, what I want to do is look at how something like Psalm 19, and specifically Psalm 1914, can help us through the times in which we're living. It seems like every Sunday I come on and the world has just gotten more bizarre and crazier and more chaotic 
than it was the previous Sunday. Just in the last 24 to 48 hours, we've had severe earthquakes in certain parts of the world. America is now pulling out of Afghanistan, which is absolutely one of the saddest things that I think we've seen uh, diplomatically in years, because when you think about all the people who gave up their lives in that country over the last 15 or 20 years, how much was sacrificed there? And within a very short time, it's gone back to just like it was before we originally went into Afghanistan. And I'm not going to get into the whole political side, but I think one thing we're going to see from all this is it was a money-making machine. Huge corporations have made billions off of the war machine, like has happened so many times in American history. So we see that darkness happening in Afghanistan. The COVID hoax is just unraveling right and left. I mean, they just keep tripping all over themselves, contradicting things that they've said um, uh, you know, over the last year, back and forth, you need a mask, you don't need a mask. And now they're trying to talk about vaccine mandates. Uh, it's proven that the vaccines are useless. They don't work. Um, and I'm not going to get into that too much. But the point is, every week, things are just getting more and more confusing, more and more out of control, more and more chaotic. Lies are just becoming more and more obvious. But we see the majority of people just following along fearfully in what's going on in the world. And that's why something like Psalm 19 is so important. So the, my point is, this is one of those areas of scripture that if we understand it, and we even memorize it, and we keep it at the forefront of our minds, and we treasure it up in our hearts, will help us navigate through and stay on the narrow path with Christ as we go through these incredibly bizarre times that we're living through right now. One of the things I really want to address is the error of social media. Social media, I've been saying this for five or six years now, is so toxic and I believe is causing so much depression and anxiety and fear in people's lives and mainstream media as well that I think as Christians it's something we really have to be aware of and pay attention to. Now, I'm very convinced, and many will disagree with me on this, that social media does not seem like valid, effective ministry because many will say, well, I spend a lot of time on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is. And I understand right now I'm broadcasting through Facebook. That's We have ministry pages on Facebook, um, and we use it as a tool of ministry. And I praise the Lord for that. But I will tell you that most of the people that listen to this listen to it through the podcast. The point I'm trying to make is we have to be very diligent and careful about how we're spending our times, time and what we're focusing on. There's a big uh, movement in the last few years to actually create ministries totally based on social media. That's what I think we should try to get away from. Because there's something about it that's very toxic, very distracting, and I think is causing a lot of problems in a lot of people's lives. We have to be very careful with what's going on in the world when it comes to mainstream media and social media. Look at 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 17. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. 
but be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, but avoid worldly and empty chatter for it will lead to further ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. To me, this is a picture of much of what's happening on social media. There are many who spend hours and days and weeks in debate on social media wrangling about words. And that truly is useless, and it leads to the ruin of the hearers. I see very little of any fruit born from those debates, but people have made careers out of debating on social media in the guise of de defending the Christian faith. So just think about these things. Consider this. Are you doing what's the most honoring and the glorifying to God? We are to present ourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. And again, talking about social media, but avoid worldly and empty chatter for it will lead to further ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. I think the reason I really dislike social media is there's so much garbage out there. There's so much just noise and there's so much just people throwing stuff up on screens that even when there's a Christian message up there, it just seems to degrade it and bring it down to the level of the world. And I think we've got to get back to venerating and adoring and appreciating the beauty of God's word in scripture. Get back to just spending time in the Bible, speaking to people about scripture one-on-one, -on -one, being with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think that's where we're going to gain a lot of strength for the times in which we live. Now, obviously, there's a lot of my own opinion in this, but I think it's something that everyone should consider, especially with what's going on in the world right now. Consider this quote by Kenneth Bailey. He says, to be distracted, one must be distracted from something by something. Satan's a master at distraction. We are told that if we are going to be conformed to the image of Christ and we are going to walk with him and we are going to abide in him, that we are going to spend most of our time either in his word, praying about his word, or meditating on it because it's just become a part of who we are. And I don't think anybody would argue the fact that as more technology takes over the world, the more distracted the human mind becomes, and that includes the human minds of Christians. I have talked to so many people that have been Christians for years, and they say one of their biggest struggles in their personal walk with Christ right now is they don't pray. And even if they sit down to pray, they can't focus because their minds are just so cluttered. It's because we are inundated with information. I remember when I was a kid, this was in like elementary or junior high school, <clears throat> you know, they started talking about culture shock, that there would come a day when technology would become so um, prevalent and there would be so much, <clears throat> excuse me, information being thrown at us that it would shock us and we would actually experience what they were calling culture shock because we couldn't deal with all the information that was constantly being fed to us. And I think that's what what you're suffering from now. And there's been doctors that have done studies, and I've read some of these studies where they have said in their own personal lives, they have seen a great depletion in the ability to concentrate for an extended period of time. Why? Because they have their minds have been slowly trained to concentrate in very short spans of time. Because that's what social media is. You're not thinking about anything. You're just seeing something on the screen. You read it. You move on to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. 
And I can tell you for myself, I very rarely can remember ever reading an entire article on a computer screen or on my phone. And now that could just be me because I don't like the digital way of reading. I like books. I love books. I like the smell of them. I like the feel of them. I like reading from a written page. So even if I am going to read something on a screen, I'll quite often just print it out so I can notate it. If it's something that I'm going to read, I make sure it's important and I print it out and I read it on paper. But my point is that I feel that modern technology is doing great damage to the human mind by diminishing our capacity to concentrate for extended periods of time. Fight against that. One of the reports I read from a doctor, what she did is she just started training herself and forcing herself to concentrate longer. She started reading novels and making herself read longer and longer and longer and being drawn into the story and developing that habit of concentration. So we can fight against this. We can train our minds to think the way we should. But the point I'm saying is don't let yourself be distracted by what the world's throwing at you, because the majority of it is garbage anyway. Here's a quote from Bill Murray, the actor. He says, social media is training us to compare our lives instead of appreciating everything we are. No wonder why everyone is always depressed. We all see that on social media. Everybody makes their life, not everybody, but the majority of people try to make their life look like just an amazing fantasy land where everything's perfect. Well, people see that, they compare it to their own lives, and they think, wow, I'm struggling, I can't do this, I can't do that, and it's, and depression starts to sink in. So we have to be very careful about that. But the point I want to make is, is that I believe social media is an amplify, amplified projection of human nature. We're told in Jeremiah 17, 6, I think it is, I don't have the verse with me, um, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand Jeremiah 17, 9, and who can understand it? The heart is desperately sick and who can understand it? So the point I'm making about social media being a projection of human nature is we see it amplified and spread all over the world very quickly. So the things that, that are born from that medium quite often are envy, jealousy, um, envy, jealousy, anger, bitterness. These are the things that pour forth quite often through in a social media context. Because why? Because human nature is reflected through it. And this is something that's always been very fascinating to me because if you think back, I know when I was growing up, you'd see movies about the future and, and, and it would look like it was this utopia where everybody got along, everything was all figured out, society just functioned perfectly. But the thing they always left out was human nature. See, without Christ, human nature comes in and just corrupts everything. And I think that's what we're seeing so much right now through mainstream media and through social media, amplified human nature. And it's really bad right now because we are seeing division in the world and especially in the United States like we've never seen before. Division between races. Now they're, the media is just masterfully creating division between those who are getting vaccinated and those who aren't. Uh, they are just doing a masterful job at driving a wedge between this country. And a lot of that wedge is powered through what is, what is put out 
through social media. So just think about these things. It is becoming very clear that thinking, especially critical thinking, thinking is quickly disappearing as more and more become obsessively addicted to the mindless false reality of mainstream media and social media. This is, I think, one of the most frustrating things for me since this whole thing with the coronavirus hoax started a year and a half ago is just seeing the blatant lies. And really, I, I, I had a pretty good idea of where they were going to go with this at the very beginning in March of 2020 when it was all starting. I, I was telling myself because I've, I've studied a lot of uh, what's going on in the world for years and you know, a lot of it just seemed like conspiracy theory and, uh, you know, the new world order trying to come in, trying to put in a one world currency, all these different things that you hear about, but you think it's just too extreme. It could never happen. But really, when I, when I first saw what was going on with this, I thought this is something they could use to bring in and implement so much of what I've heard about over the years. So I've pretty much since the beginning of this, known it was all lies and they were going to use it for very nefarious ends. And now that's what we're seeing. But I think the saddest thing is, is to see people entering just such vitriol and hatred towards one another, when if we would all just step back and think and really look at what's going on, we would say, wait a minute, we're being pitted against each other. We're not each other's enemies. The enemies are those that are making us fight against each other. The enemies are those that are putting out these news blurbs and this propaganda and trying to drive a wedge between us. You see what I'm saying? We've got to start thinking that way because critical thinking has been done away with over years and years of social conditioning. And that's what we're seeing now. That's why things are so out of control. Ask yourself these questions regarding the effects of mainstream media. Ask yourself, are you, mainstream media and also, I guess, social media. Ask yourself these questions. Are you thinking and living or are you reacting and just surviving? Are you making wise decisions boldly, confidently, and courageously? Or are you submitting and reacting in fear? The last year should have taught us much about ourselves and how we think. And this is a great time to really learn about yourself. Look back since March of 2020, February 2020, when this whole chaotic mess started, and just ask yourself, have I been responding fearfully, or have I really been thinking about what I'm being told, and have I been living based on clear, analytical, critical thought processes? Am I doing what I feel is right and making decisions based on that feeling of, of rightness, or have I just simply been reacting fearfully because I don't want to get in trouble, I don't want to offend anybody, I don't want to get sick, whatever it is, whatever fear that you've you know, been drawn into. Because when you're living in fear, you're never going to make good decisions unless it's just by chance. You're going to do things without thinking about them, and you're, end up, you're going to end up just causing yourself more and more trouble and heartache. But if you have faith in Christ, you never have to live in fear. See, we have an ability to think that is beyond our own ability, that is actually supernatural. Because if you're in Christ, you have a measuring, a way of measuring everything that you're presented with. So whatever we hear from the world, we can look at it biblically and say, well, this 
doesn't make sense biblically. And with what we're dealing with now, you can quite often just hear what you're being told and realize, well, they're just contradicting what they said a week ago or a month ago or a year ago. None of it's making sense. So it's obvious what we're being told now is, 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 is so much lies. But my point is that as Christians, we're very much blessed because we have God's word in scripture as a guiding light to help us discern our way through and to figure out the path through the crazy times in which we live. Look at 2 Timothy 1.7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We never have to fear. Do not make decisions based on fear. In my opinion, mainstream media and social media must be rejected and completely subordinated to God's word, prayer, and meditation. Folks, what I'm talking about here is living contrary to the world. It's Romans 12 too. It's being not conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you want to do that, you're going to have to make a stand against the lies of the world. That's what I'm trying to get through to in this. Now let's look at Psalm 19:14 again. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now we've looked at the practical application of the things we say pouring forth from what our heart is meditating on. But there's also so much more in this verse besides the obvious. So many of life's struggles, depressions, addictions, fears, and anxieties can be overcome when our words, born from the meditations of and thoughts of a heart filled with and abiding in the love of Jesus Christ, are pleasing and acceptable to Him. If I am down, if I'm frustrated, discouraged, depressed, addicted, fearful, anxious, how can, I, how can the meditation of my heart and my thoughts and the words that spring from them be in any way pleasing and acceptable to God? Think about that. Again, if I'm frustrated, discouraged, depressed, addicted, fearful, anxious, how can the meditation of my heart, my thoughts, and the words that spring from them be in any way pleasing and acceptable to God? Look at 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For we walk, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought captive. Now, the reason this is so beautiful. And the reason this can be so inspiring is we realize that if we are going to say things and meditate on things, that the meditation of our heart is going to be acceptable in God's sight and pleasing to him, depression, anxiety, fear, worry, etc., have no place because those things are going to corrupt the condition of our heart. So what we're looking at here is just another one of those parts of scripture that sets us free from what this world strives to draw us into. What a beautiful blessing that is. Just consider that. Now I think a very important point to make here is the fact that to take every thought captive 
is humanly impossible. The human mind is impossible for humans to control. Just try meditating. Meditating is one of the hardest things for people to learn. Why? Because thoughts come in, distractions come in. You're constantly drawn all over the place. One of the greatest lessons we have is just to quiet our mind, but our mind rebels against it. It takes a lot of time and practice to be able to slow down and quiet the mind. So to take every thought captive is really humanly impossible. But look at Matthew 19, 26. And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Now, in that context, it's talking about the young, the rich young ruler who came to Christ and said, what must I do to be saved? And God, and Jesus explained it to him. And the guy, and he said, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. But Christ said, if you want to be perfect, sell all you have, give to the poor and come and follow me. He wanted him to give up his wealth. Why? Because he knew his wealth is what was consuming him. His wealth is where his pride was. His wealth is where he was trapped. And if he could get rid of his wealth, then his mind would, would, would become pure. His heart would become pure. He'd be filled with the love of Christ. The wealth was keeping him from that. So that's why Christ told him he needed to get rid of that and come and follow him. And the guy couldn't do it. He walked away. Now, I believe he may have been one of those people in Scripture that after the resurrection came to faith in Christ. He may have very well at that point given up everything. But when the disciples asked Christ, how could anybody ever do that? Christ responds and says, with people, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So I believe that it is possible to take every thought captive, but not by our own power, only through the power of Christ working in us through the Holy Spirit. As a man thinks cannot please God until God has changed the heart and its desires, until we are regenerated, born again, brought to faith in Jesus Christ, and strive to be conformed to his image, as a man thinketh, will not be godlike. In the flesh, we cannot take every thought captive. We can only do it in the Spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, while this verse, meaning uh, Psalm 19:14, is a prayer for pure and proper words and thoughts and meditation before the Lord, there is also a powerful blessing within it that we must cling to. And this is where I think this is such a great. A psalm for us to memorize during these times in which we live. Look at Proverbs 14.30. What does it say? A tranquil heart is life to the body. A tranquil heart is life to the body. Now think of everything I've talked about in the world, mainstream media, social media, coronavirus thing, everything that's going on in the world. That's the antithesis of tranquility. This world will not give you tranquility. But we are told that a tranquil heart is life to the body. That is only found in Jesus Christ. If we are blessed to speak words that are pleasing to the Lord, pouring from a heart in love with the Lord that abides in him and his word, we possess a victorious power beyond anything we can conceive. And this is the point I'm trying to make. You know, it's common for people to say, uh, when people are going through troubled times, you'll hear a friend or a family member tell them, God will never give you more than you can handle. God doesn't give us more than we can handle. First of all, that is not in Scripture. Second of all, that's contradictory to everything we read in Scripture. God will give you more than you can handle, and then he will carry you through it. That is how he's glorified. You see? 
So don't ever tell someone that God won't give you more than you can handle. He probably will, but he will carry you through that trial. You see? And that's what we're talking about here. We can have a tranquil heart, which is life to our body, because we know that whatever we're faced with, we don't have to rely on our own power. We don't have to figure out a way to get through it. We don't have to figure out our own plans. Obviously, yeah, we try to use the best of our faculties. We try to use the mind that the Lord gave us, but we understand that we're doing it in the power of God because we are in Jesus Christ and he's guiding us through the Holy Spirit. You see? So even if we feel we're at the end of our rope, we can't see a way out. God's still in control. And that's the way to look at the world right now. Because when you look at what's going on, it's horrifying. People are talking about can't go grocery shopping without a vaccine passport. You can't do this. You can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. There's, there's people in Europe in so many major cities around the world now marching against all this insanity because of this COVID thing. And it seems like what's going to happen if they just keep pushing it further and further and further? But we got to realize we have a power beyond anything that they can imagine that are in this world to continue forward, to persevere because we have the power of God in Jesus Christ. Consider Augustine. His probably his most famous quote is, my soul is restless until it rests in thee. And I've read a biography of Augustine, and I can tell you that he looked everywhere and he tried everything trying to find truth and peace and joy in this world. This guy got into so many false religions, so many false belief systems, totally rejected Christianity. His mom was a just a passionate believer, tried to get him to come to Christ for years. He rejected everything she told him. He got into Manichaeism. He got into astrology, just all kinds of false teachings. He finally came to Christ. And that's when he said, my soul is restless until it rests in thee. His life, as you read his biography, you see that he was nothing but restless for years and years and years, just searching and struggling and failing until he finally rested in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm trying to get the point across today. Regardless of what's going on in the world, it's a blip in world history. And people are taking this. Christians are saying, well, the vaccine could be the mark of the beast. I don't think it is. Like I've said before, I, I think it could be. It's obviously, I, I think it's like a test. I think there, there could be evil powers behind it trying to test what they can get people to do. How far can we push them? I do believe that it's very dangerous. And I'll, maybe I'll get into that later. I've, I've studied what it could be doing to people physically. But there's part of me that thinks maybe we're just making this into too much. And we just need to, 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 to draw a line and say enough is enough. This is where it stops. But the point is, people got to stop panicking and being fearful and start thinking because that's when we'll start making the changes that are moving us in the right direction. The meditation of my heart is to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Strive to turn back the pages of time. This is what I'm talking about here is the meditation of my heart. What does that mean? And I believe that it means to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Because worshiping is not just standing in church and singing or, you know, what, what we may picture as worship. What I'm talking about is constant worship of the Lord from your heart. So worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth. Strive to turn back the pages of time to when the church was fresh and young and newborn. 
Strip away the corruptive influence of influences of this world on modern Christianity. Cast aside denominationalism. The more I read church history, the less of the modern church I see in it. Seek to know and follow and meditate on Christ, abiding in him as he leads you by the Holy Spirit. The point I'm trying to make there is go to God's word, pray as you read through God's word, and see what the Holy Spirit discloses to you. That can be a great challenge in the times in which we live because we are told that based on our denomination, this is what the Word's telling us. Based on church history, this is what the, the, this is what the, the Word's telling us. And I can tell you from my own experience, I've, I've read a lot of church history, and the more I study it, the less of the modern church I see in church history. I believe the first century church was groups of people getting together striving to know Christ, edifying and strengthening each other. It was a group of friends, a group of family members gathering simply to talk about Christ and to know him. And I do believe, and I'll probably make a lot of people mad, I believe what we see is so much of the modern church model is just a leftover influence of Roman Catholicism, where we still try to make everything so structured and so outlined and so controlled. Everything we need is in God's word. We need to simplify and get back to the truth of what the church should be. And we need to do this in our own walk. So in regarding to today's message, the point I'm trying to get to is pray that the Holy Spirit will show you what he wants you to see in his word, because each one of us has our own individual, unique walk with Christ. And I'm not saying that we get into this Christianity where everybody's doing their own thing and everybody's got their own opinion on what the gospel is. The gospel cannot be refuted. It's in scripture laid out very clearly. What I'm talking about is try to get rid of the influences of hundreds of years that has infected the church and get back to what Christianity is supposed to be. That's what I'm trying to say. And I can tell you that it will bless you richly and you will grow so much faster in your walk with Christ. Look at John 20, 21 through 22. And I hope this helps make my point. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So Peter and Jesus are walking down the beach. This is after Christ's resurrection, before his ascension. And he's talking to Peter on the beach and he's explaining to him what he wants him to do. He's strengthening him. He's, he's readying him for the mission that Peter's going to carry out. And then Peter points to John and says, but what about this man? And Christ says, even if I want him just to remain until I come, that's not in your business. You follow me. And I love this portion of scripture because he's saying you have your work to do. John has his work to do. Now, he wasn't saying here that John was going to remain until he came. The next portion of Scripture clarifies that. So there's no confusion in that point. John died like everyone else. But the point Christ was making is, even if I tell him this, that doesn't mean that's what I'm telling you. So the point I'm trying to make to everyone listening to this today is, be the individual Christ made you to be. Don't be pigeonholed by whatever your denomination tells you you should be doing or telling you how you should be worshiping. Go to the Word and see what the Lord is disclosing to you. Strive to know Christ one-on-one -on -one through His Word. 
And the reason I'm, I'm, I'm hitting on this point so much is because there is so much division and confusion in the modern church because of denominationalism and because of differences on, of opinion when it comes to eschatological issues or whatever it is. Obviously, like I said, there is one true doctrine. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Never try to live in contradiction to God's word. The point I'm trying to make is I believe that we are influenced so much by how man has tried to twist Scripture over years and years and years that there's much of it that we don't even realize that we're not seeing clearly because of those distorted lenses that has been put on so much of the church. And I'm asking people to try to take those off and get back to the truth of what the church originally was, because I think that will, is where we'll gain so much strength for the times in which we live. When it says the meditation of my heart, that should be the gospel. When I'm talking about the gospel, I'm just not talking about the just the gospel message. I'm talking about all of Scripture. The words of my mouth, fill your mouth with the gospel. Look to Christ always. It's so simple. Meditate on the attributes of God. Go through his word and just think of everything God is. Mercy, love, kindness, long-suffering, everything about God. Meditate on the life of Christ. Read the Beatitudes in, in Matthew. Study his parables. Meditate on his miracles. Celebrate his death and resurrection for our salvation. Study the mind of God. This is one of the most fascinating things you can study in Scripture is how does God think? How does he see things? Look at this, 1 Colossians uh, 2, 14 through 16. But a natural man does not accept, not 1 Colossians, 1 Corinthians, sorry, uh, 2, 14 through 16. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. What does that mean? We look at everything through the lens of Scripture. Yet the, he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Don't pass up that beautiful blessing. We are blessed in Christ to have a comprehension of the mind of God and how he thinks and how he does things. Meditate on that. The preceding portions of Psalm 19, the Psalm 19.14 is the last verse in this psalm. The preceding portions of that psalm Deal with God's creation shining with God's glory and the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The expansiveness of the gospel is reflected in the expansiveness of creation of the heavens. Current world, world events try to drag us into the mire and filth of this dark, corrupted world. I'm speaking in a mental and spiritual context here. But the hearts and minds and spirits of the saints abide in and are focused on the light and life and promises of Jesus Christ. We don't have to be drugged down into the mud that the world's trying to pull us into. This is our viewpoint as believers. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. These all died in faith. He's talking about all those before Christ who died, who had faith in him, knowing that the Messiah was coming. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. 
If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. That's where our focus is. That's where our hope is. That's what we're looking forward to. Praise the Lord for that. The saints must strive to see and comprehend God's glory in creation and God's glory in redemption. Look at Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. So that Christ might dwell, may, might dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Are you starting to see now how this ridiculous garbage that we deal with in the world shouldn't be affecting us if we have this mindset, if this is the condition of our hearts? So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to read through all of Psalm 19. And I just want you to consider the gospel as we read through Psalm 19 and consider the purity and beauty of these scriptures contrasted against the ignorance and lies of these times. Just think of what's going on in the world, how absolutely pathetic it is, how dark it is, and then think of the condition of this psalm. And it was written by David. Just think of David's mindset and the condition of his heart as he wrote this. Probably can't see this on the screen. I had to make it smaller, but it's all there. Psalm 19, for the choir director, a psalm of David. The heavens are telling God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. He's telling us that contemplating creation teaches us of God. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth... And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So the reason I wanted to read all of Psalm 19 was because if you ask yourself, how do I know that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart are acceptable in God's sight? The answer to that David gives us in verses 1 through 13. If you're considering the heavens, you're considering nature and all that God has made, they speak of him. If you consider the sun representing Christ lighting up the universe. He is the light of the universe. 
and the perfection in which God created everything, the circuits that the planets follow are all according to God's plan. If you consider that his law is perfect, his testimony is sure, his precepts are right, and his commandments are pure, and they enlighten the eyes, that the fear of the Lord is clean, it endures forever, his judgments are true, and they're righteous altogether. Those are the things we consider to give us a right heart, which leads to right speech that are pleasing to God. So what I'm trying to get across today is don't allow the world to bring your your focus down. Lift up your eyes, look at Christ, and make a stand for right, because you're standing on truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. I'm going to close with Isaiah 40, 26 and Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Lift up your eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word today. And Lord, I just pray that every person that hears this message would lift up their eyes and they would look to you, that we would always have you before us, that we'd always remember Calvary, that we'd always remember your suffering, your death, your resurrection, and your ascension, the fact that you intercede for us and that you are with each one of us and you guide us through each second and each minute and each hour of every day. Lord, just guide us through the coming week. Uh, help us to stay on the narrow path and please open uh, doors of opportunity for the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys, thanks for being here. Uh, if you get a chance, please visit elephantwalk.net. It is our sponsor website. Uh, just go to, if you decide to make a purchase during checkout, just type in the way all lowercase, and you'll get 10% off. We've just added some new items. We just had a new shipment come in from Kenya about a week and a half ago, and we've got some beautiful new items on the site. So please visit elephantwalk.net. If you'd like to visit our website, it's the way, the letter R122.org. You can subscribe to the podcast at Christian podcastcommunity.org. Just search for The Way Radio in the search field. Um, there's also some great podcasts, other Christian podcasts there that you can listen to. We're still on YouTube at The Way Ministry Church. Don't know how long that'll be. Uh, we are in the process of slowly transferring over videos to Rumble, and you can find us on Rumble at The Way R122. And I think that's hopefully where we'll end up for good. Uh, we need all the help we can get. I'm trying to figure out when to go back to Kenya. I'm starting to feel the itch to really get things moving with Patrick's church there and setting up the Bible school. Um, we're doing everything we can to work with them from a distance. Uh, but with the COVID thing going on around the world, it's so difficult to make any plans right now. So please pray that the Lord would show me uh, when I'm supposed to go through that door for the next trip. And please consider helping us make that happen. Um, these trips are very expensive, and with what we have planned for the Bible school, we need all the help we can possibly get. So we're praying for all the support that the Lord could possibly bless us with, and hopefully he'll do that through you. You can donate at the way, the letter R122.org. Thanks for being here today, folks. We'll be back here next Sunday, same time, same place. God bless.